morning. Good morning. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Feel free to open those snack bags. It does not bother me at all. As you can see, I have a 14-year-old who listens pretty well, a 12-year-old who listens pretty well, and a 2-year-old who doesn't know what the word listen means yet. <laughs> so we're used to a lot of noise. <laughs> we, uh, we had, we had uh, the two kids here, and Jude and Ada, I'm glad they came with me uh, today. My wife, Lauren, who is, who is wrangling the two-year-old. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad they were able to come with me today. Uh, these two have, um, have uh, kind of seen us in different stages of our life. And uh, so, you know, we, we kind of, the kids started growing up, and we got to this age where we could sleep in, and the kids would go downstairs, and they'd put on Netflix and make themselves breakfast, and we were like, this is good. Yeah. Like, we could kind of leave them at home, and we can go on a date and kind of walk around town. We lived only a couple minutes from downtown in Marshall, so we can walk around, and then one day I'm underneath the sink in the bathroom changing up the faucets, which for me is like a six-hour thing because I'm not handy at all. Changing out the faucets, and all of a sudden my wife starts crying. <laughs> she goes, we're going to have a baby. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I was like, and so we, uh, we started over in our fort, and uh, she's, still, she's still young, 30s. Young thirties, and so in our, so we were laughing the other day. Our kids are moving into uh, high school. My Jude is going to be a freshman. Ada is going to be a seventh grader. And I was like, when they're in college, we're going to have a fourth grader. <laughs> I was like, well, we'll stay young for a while. All right. So I want to thank Pastor Brenda for uh, having us up for Father's Day. Um, we met uh, Pastor Brenda and Marshall a few years ago. Um, my wife and I owned a coffee shop in Marshall, and if you don't know Pastor Brenda, apparently she likes coffee, and so she would come in and and study, and and uh, we start we got to talking, and um, after a while we uh, started helping them in Marshall, and I'm uh, working with the youth, so the kids have shot up a little bit since they were in Marshall, just a tad. And uh, one's graduated and getting ready to go to college, and they're not the young punk. Well, they're punks, but they're not the young punks that they used to be. So, it's, but it's been a lot of, you know, uh, it's been a lot of transition. Uh, today, I would like to celebrate also my father. Um, we lost my father uh, a couple years ago. I think this is our my second or third Father's Day uh, without him. Um, but this morning, uh, this weekend, I was kind of thinking about him a lot and uh, thinking about my dad pastored um, all my life. And so I grew up um, working with him. I was uh, his youth pastor um, as I got older. My, when my wife and I got married, we stayed at his church and she moved to Marshall from the Detroit area, and she came to Marshall, which was a smaller town than what she's used to, 
and we're driving, and she goes, why are there tractors driving down the road? <laughs> and so we, stay, we, we, we said we will stay one year in Marshall, and then we're going to go out and, and see the life as a young married couple, and, and uh, we, but we stayed with my dad, and I became his youth pastor, his associate pastor. He, uh, when he retired, we took over his church for a few years. And then um, transitioned out of that. And so, but he was a man who uh, was on the move. And um, he never could sit still, was always following his calling. Um, we moved a lot as a kid. I remember when I started my sixth grade year at middle school, it was the ninth school that I had been in. The man loved to move. He was. He would go into small areas, start churches, build them up, and then we would move, or he would take over churches that were uh, that were closing or struggling, and kind of get them up to a workable level. Then we'd move, and so when we moved to Marsh, my mom told him, "Ron, you've got to promise to stay." And he stayed in Marshall. We'd switched about twelve different houses, but we stayed in one city. <laughs> so. And, uh, but one thing he taught me was, one, he taught me unconditional love of a father. And through all my mistakes, uh, through all my bad choices, he loved me and was always there for, for me. But he also taught me the power of following a passion, of following a dream, and of following your calling. And uh, I give him, um, and, I, and I love him for that dearly. He gave me a love for the church, a love for for speaking. He was that dad who who would yell at you while he was preaching. Keep preaching. We laugh. He tells the story of my brother. My brother was sitting in the front row, and my dad started preaching. My brother was acting up, so he walked down, picked him up, swat him on the butt, put him back down, and just kept just kept on going. You know, and he was, you know, and that's just that. That's how he was. But he loved God. And uh, he was, uh, at a young age, I would walk into church, and I was probably at Judah's age, maybe Ada's age, and 12, and he'd be like, all right, son, why don't you get up and testify, say a few words. And I started learning really quick that I need to be prepared, <laughs> because he was going to call me at some point, and then he'd get to the point I was a teenager, I'd walk in, and he goes, hey, how about you preach tonight? I'm like, Dad, it's 5.30, and church starts at 6. The Lord will lead you, son. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he got he taught us though to to follow. He taught us to listen to God, and uh, and as there's five of us siblings, uh, we have not always made the greatest decisions with our lives. Uh, but he always taught us God's grace. And today I'm going to talk about transitions, and I'm going to talk about battles. Um, I think most of us at some point in time in our lives have been through a transition. Maybe it's a life transition. Maybe it's a job transition. Uh, maybe it's a, uh, a transition from a, a calling into something else. Uh, maybe it's a transition from uh, maybe it's a dream that you've been wanting to do and you've kind of transitioned into following that dream. But God has called us into something. Every one of you that are here uh, this morning, God has placed something inside of you 
that burns with desire. Or he did at one time. Where you felt it at one time. Where he placed something in, inside of you that was your drive. It was something that you really longed to accomplish. It was something that, that it was a love, but it was a true passion. And some of you today might be struggling because of life's journeys, life's choices, mistakes that you've made, mistakes that we all have made. And you're like, how can I ever fulfill this passion? How can I ever fulfill this dream that God has put inside of me with the mistakes and the choices I've made? But thankfully, we serve a God of grace. Amen. So I want you to know this morning that God says that it's okay to dream again. Maybe there's a dream that you have left that you just laid down and you said, you know what? It was a dream. It's a passion, but it's just it's not going to happen for me. And I'm here to tell you today that God says it's okay to dream again. It's okay to open that piece of your heart back up to him. That there is nothing that you have done, nothing that you can do that has negated what God has put inside of you today. Amen. And just because we have battles and, that, and I think a lot of times in our transitional periods, I think a lot of times when we're moving or trying to move into that area where we feel like God is calling us, I think a lot of times, at least I did in the, in the past, be like, okay, if God wants me to do this, then God's going to make the way. And it's going to be sunshine in 80 degrees. It's going to be low humidity and beautiful. And there's not going to be any storms. The flowers are always going to bloom. And the trees are always going to give fruit. But I think a lot of us know what it's also like to go through battles. A lot of us know what it's like to have things come against us. So a lot of us know what it's like to have to fight for something. And just because we have to fight, just because there are battles that we have to go through, does not mean that God has left us. And it does not mean that God is not calling us into that area. What God is doing is preparing us for the greater thing that is to come. Because it is in the battle where we gain strength. It is in the battle where we gain resilience. It is in the battle where we gain knowledge. It is the battle where we begin to trust in God and who he is and who we are in him. And that he will always provide for us in the battle. Sometimes he'll fight for us. Sometimes he'll say, go down and watch what I'm going to do for you. And there's other times where God, like he said to Peter, Peter, the enemy's called for you. I'm praying for you, buddy. <laughs> I always kind of wonder what Peter would have thought there. Like, Jesus, there's nothing you can do for me here right now. <laughs> but as you know, and that's what Jesus said to Peter. He goes, the enemy's called for you. I'm going to pray for you. And that's the father that we have. We have a father who loves us, a father who was praying for us, and a father who was always speaking into us. 
And so when God transitions, there will be battles. In Exodus chapter 17, we start learning about the children of Israel. And we're, and, and, and 17, we're just catching the beginning of the journey. Okay? It's not the beginning of the journey, but, but it's in the beginning stages of the children of Israel's journey out of Egypt. And if we look back a few chapters, we start looking into Israel. And, and as we know, Israel was called out of Egypt. And they were released, and, and there was, uh, uh, they were on their way to Mount Sinai where God was going to give his laws and, and his ordinances to Moses. So there, so there was a plan. We're going to leave Egypt. We're going. And as I said before, how many of you have ever been like, all right, God, we got this. Thank you, God. You've opened that door. We're going. And, and, and you're like, things just started hitting. Things just started coming at you. And it's like, God, I, th- I thought you were calling. I, th- I thought you told me to do this. I thought you wanted me to do this. Why is all this coming against me? And as we follow the children of Israel, we, we know that they leave Egypt, and they start their journey, and they end up at the Red Sea. So they're hanging out the Red Sea, and they look behind them, and what do they see? The army. Oh, God, I thought you told us to leave. Why, why are you sending the army? And and if you you know if you've watched Ben Hur not Ben Hur Ben Hur is Moses whatever his name is now my mind just went but if you've watched the great great Ten Commandments movie I'm telling you, I watched it the other day about a few months ago I was like ah this movie's still good but you know you know God so God protects them and then He tells Moses to do what lay your staff over the the water, and what does the water do? It parts. And they walk through. Now personally, if I was driving a chariot and I had to go around a pillar of fire that seemed to be coming out of heaven and then get to the Red Sea where it just happens to be parted and these people are going through it, I don't personally know if I would have followed directions and followed them through. I think after watching the plagues and after watching everything that has kind of happened with this man Moses and these people who are leaving, I think I'd have been like, let's just let them go. But we know the story how God placed it in their hearts. They chased. The waters fall. And the army is wiped out. And so the children of Israel see all of this. And so then they enter into another wilderness. And they're going, and and what's the first thing they start doing? Murmuring and complaining. But we're thirsty. We're going to die. We're going to die. God just brought us all the way out here just to die. And so they come to the water, and the water is bitter. and, And God tells Moses... You know, you need to do this, and they drink the water, and then they do, they end up in Elam. And Elam is a place of rest for a while. And the Bible says there was many there was waters and groves of date trees. And it was a place of rest. 
It was a place where they could, you know, kind of get themselves together, you know. And so they're there. And then it's time to transition once again. And they're going to Mount Sinai. And so they leave Elam into the desert. And I have a feeling they were probably leaving Elam on a, a pretty good e- emotional and and probably a pretty high morale because they were they've been fed, they've been rested, the resources were there, everything they probably they needed was just kind of there. And it's easy to trust God in the times of plenty. It's easy to trust God when it seems like everything is falling or has fallen into place and everything's going okay. It's easy to trust God during those times. And so they leave Elam and the Bible says they enter into the wilderness of sin. Now the wilderness of sin, the word sin there isn't the English version that we think of, but it is basically a named after uh, a moon god of whatever the, the desert dwellers, a moon god that they worshipped. But as we know, though, they're entering into a place of spiritual low, surrounded by people who are worshipping different gods. They're entering into a place of desolation, a place that is barren. But it is in the desert of sin where manna falls from the heaven. It's in the desert of sin where God delivers them quail to eat and meat to eat. It is in that place where God provides. And, you know, once again, when was the last time bread fell from heaven? I don't know. I think if I walked out, I was like, well, look at that. Fresh bread. KFC fried quail. You know, but what does the Bible say? They would they kept murmuring. But God would would lead them through this desert and and they would just get so confused as if we're supposed to be going ultimately to this promised land. Why are we why are we suffering? In this place of wilderness? Why are we suffering in this place of transition? Why is all this going on in our lives? But God, what was what God was doing was showing them that wherever they are, He's going to provide. Whatever you're going through, I'm going to provide. Whatever is coming against you, I'm going to provide for you. And that just because you're in the middle of a battle, just because you're in the middle of transition, just because you're in the middle of a desert experience, doesn't mean that I am punishing you. It's me showing you that I am your provider. That I am going to give you what you need. So they come out of the wilderness of sin and they camp in Rephidim. And so we catch up with them in Exodus chapter 17. And it says in verse 1, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people did what? Oh my Lord, Moses, why are you doing this to us? We trusted you, God, 
At least we had homes in Egypt. At least there was a roof. I don't understand. What are you doing? Might as well just die. I like how Moses says, at least in the tra- in the version I'm reading, he goes, they said, give us water to drink. And they demanded, and Moses replied, quiet. <laughs> Basically, Moses said, shut up. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? You're trying to kill our kids, trying to kill our livestock. Then Moses cried out, what shall I do with these people? <laughs> I feel sorry for Moses sometimes. Moses could see what God was wanting to do. And so Moses was like, what do you want me to do with these people? Church, I am every day pray for your pastor. Every day, speak life into your pastors. Amen. Pray for them. Speak life into them. Show them love. Show them that you're praying. And Moses says, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I like this because he God tells him to call some of the elders to join him. Why? Because who you surround yourself with matters. Who you surround yourself with in times of transition and in times of battles, it matters. He goes, surround yourself. He goes, I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. The people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. And Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? Now, we'll say this. When you are called, and when in a time of transition and in a time of battle, there is going to definitely be periods of testing, of frustration, and anger. Amen. We will be tested. And then, verse 8 While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Amen. Who you surround yourself with matters. 
who you surround yourself and what they speak into you matters. You gotta surround yourself sometimes with people who are gonna hold you up and lift you up in your time of battle. You do not have to do it alone. There are times in my life when I have gone through battles, I have gone through transitions, and I have thought that I can do this on my own. I've got a plan, God. I've got, I can do this. I don't need help. I don't need anybody to step in. I've, I've laid it all out. I've laid the map out. I've got my steps one, two, three laid out. I've laid out my pros and my cons. I know where I'm going, and I can do this. And every time I have tried to step out and do it on my own, every time I have thought that I could just lay out the path, it always goes backwards. But we have to surround ourselves with people who will pray with us, who will be in agreement with us when they know that God has spoken in something into us. So after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder. And read it aloud to Joshua. I'll erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. So one thing I want to talk about today is who are you surrounding yourself with? That's my first question. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Moses knew that he had to surround himself with people who believed in what he was doing. Aaron was his brother. Aaron had been his spokesperson. Aaron had walked with him into Pharaoh's chambers the first time and dropped the stick on the floor and watched the staff turn into a servant. Aaron had seen all of this. Aaron knew that God was calling Moses into something great. Her was also related. Her was the husband of Miriam, his sister. And so these people had seen Moses by this time, they knew the story of Moses going down the Nile, being picked up, being raised in Pharaoh's home. They knew that God was calling Moses into something bigger. And so they stood with Moses. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Every day, Moses heard the complaining of the people. Every day, he heard the whining and the groan. Who here has some people that you surround yourself with who just like to whine? They're whiners. Or they're, are you sure God said for you to do that? That's pretty, that's, that's, that, that's a big, I don't know if you can accomplish that. Do you really think you have the skills to do that? Do you really think that was God you were hearing? If it was God, if it was really God, would you really be going through this kind of transition? If it was God, do you think you would really have to fight this battle? I think you heard the wrong voice. 
And we can surround ourselves with people who are very negative. And we can talk, our, we can surround ourselves with people who can talk us right out of the things that God wants us to do if we're not careful. And so Moses had surrounded himself with people who would lift him up in these times of battle. And there are going to be times of battle. Maybe it's a battle for your marriage. Maybe right now you are in a battle for your spouse. You're in a, a battle for your marriage. Maybe you're in a battle for your family. Maybe there are things going on in your family that you are, are battling for or they're battling you and there just seems to be division. Maybe you're battling for your finances. Maybe there's a calling in your life and you're battling through the, the, the enemy coming against you. Feel like you're being surrounded. It feels like the enemy's trying to take you out. You know God has called you to do something. You know that God has placed a burden in your heart. You know that God has placed a passion in your heart. But every time you try to step, something happens. Something falls apart and you're battling while knowing that God has called you into something, but it's hard. And when it seems like you're battling through hell, you need to have people around you that will speak life into you. That will speak life into you and be in agreement with you because words have power, amen? Words have power. That is the re there's a reason why the Bible says that life and death is in the power of the what? Tongue. There's a reason why he said that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. Because words bring life or words bring death. You can lift up your child or you can defeat your child all through the words you speak. I have a friend who, who wrote a book about his uh, traumatic childhood. And it, is, uh, it was a very, very powerful book. And he talks about how he was very abused. He had siblings, and the mother had only chosen him as the one to abuse. And he would talk about how there was times that he would pray that his father's motorcycle wouldn't start so that the dad wouldn't go to work. And the dad would go to work, and the mom would keep him at home. And there was times that she would drown him until he would pass out. And then she would try to bring him back. There were times that she would she would tie him up and beat him and put a pillow over his head until he would pass out. And he was at a store one time. And this is in Battle Creek. And Battle Creek has a, a community college. And he's at a store with his mom. And he, and he told his mom, he goes, I have to go to the bathroom. And she says, don't. You're going to have to hold it. Just go on the floor. And he said, he held it, he held it, he held it, he just couldn't hold it. And he ended up going on the floor. And so he's standing there, he says, just embarrassed in my own urine. And my mom's berating me. And he goes, and he's just in this just time of just death, just feeling completely alone. He says, this college student came over to him, a girl he never knew. She got down and she goes, I want you to know that God loves you and God has something great for you. And she stood up. And she looked at him again. She goes, I mean it. He goes, I have no idea who that girl was. I had never seen her before. He goes, but in those times when my mom would, would 
strangle me and the times that my mom would beat me, the times that I knew that that moment was the last moment I was ever going to breathe my last bit of air. He goes, her words would come into my mind that you're somebody. God loves you. You're going to be somebody. And he goes, and I would just hang on one more day. He talked about three or four different people in his life as he would go through different homes, as he went through different programs, different people who uh, would speak into him that he still holds on to those words today. Today he's married. Today he has children. He became a, back. Uh, he's 10 years older than me, uh, so back in the late 80s, early 90s, hip-hop dance was kind of in, and, and he ended up going on tour with uh, DC Talk, back when DC Talk was kind of like a hip-hop man. And he goes, and, and those guys would, would speak into him, and, and he goes, there was times I would just leave. I'd get so mad, I would just run. They'd bring me back, they'd pray with me, and go like, we love you. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean that we're going to let you go. He has become a major songwriter for through in Nashville. He writes uh, music for... Um, I keep wanting to say Boys the Men. Newsboys. It was not Boys the Men. <laughs> Newsboys on the God's Not Dead 2 movie, I think, and some of his music is on that. But he talks about how those words gave him life. Research shows that all a person needs to overcome trauma from battle and adversity in their lives is someone who is absolutely crazy about them. One person who speaks life and hope into you can create new pathways in the brain. There's the reason why in Romans 12 and 2 it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God made your mind to be malleable, to be changeable. There are Times when, you know, even some of you today, you might have, have, have grown up in a childhood where uh, through different trauma and through different things you've been through, your brain was triggered to only react in a, in always in a 24-hour fight-or-flight response system. But what research shows us is that somebody who loves us unconditionally can change those negative pathways and new pathways begin to form in your brain that build resilience. It changes the DNA structure in your body, the words and the thoughts that you think. There's a cancer hospital, I think it's Mayo Clinic, I can't remember which one. They take you through a class, so if you're battling cancer and you're going, you stay there, and you're going through treatment there, they will take you through a forgiveness class. Because they know that if you're holding on to bitterness and resentment and negativity, that your body will not heal. And so they take you through a class of forgiveness so that you can release all that negativity, that you can release all that bitterness and begin to speak life. So the words that we speak, the people who we surround ourselves with, who speak in us, it matters and it has power. God created our minds with the ability to change and to be renewed. Moses surrounded himself with Aaron and her. 
are the people attached to you there to hold you up or they're there to tear you down? Or the people that are walking with you through your battle right now, why are they there? At work, are you in the crowd that lifts up or are you in the crowd that tears down? Are you in the crowd that, that walks in and says, okay, we have a job to do. It's not the easiest job. It's not the greatest job, but I'm going to walk in and I'm going to be there because right now that's where God has me to be. I've worked in school systems for 15 years and there was nothing worse than the small group of teachers who would meet on their own, eat lunch on their own, and were always the ones who were always talking about how bad the school was, how bad leadership was. And you would have new teachers get hired, and you would try to keep them away from that crowd over there. I've grown up in churches. I've worked in churches. The same thing can happen in churches, where you can get a crowd who's, oh, nobody's ever happy. The pastor's always this. The pastor's always this. The, you know, the pastor's kids are crazy. But who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you linking with? Because who you link with matters. Because you have the ability to tear up or to build up or to tear down by what you think about what you say. Your words have power. Your, transit, your times of transition will have seasons of battles as well. Now the lens that you see the battle through will help you win or it will make you a victim. How I see my battle makes the difference. If I see the battle as God is preparing me for something greater, then I'm going to walk through that ability with trust. I'm going to walk through that, through that battle knowing that God is going to provide for me during that time. But how many of us know people that every time something comes against them, they're always the victim? It's a victim mentality. Oh, it's, you know, people just don't like me. It's, you know. A lot of people, if they go through battle, they think it's something they've done. You know, where did, I must have sinned. God must not like me. My car broke down. What did I do? Maybe didn't change the oil. <laughs> but who are we surrounding ourselves? How are we seeing what God is doing in our lives? Moses was leading the children of Israel to Mount Sinai to have an encounter with God. But they had to see what God was capable of first. Amen. They had to see what God was going to provide them for. Children of Israel had spent 480 years in captivity. They had seen a lot of trauma. They had been through a lot of battle. They had been through a lot of heartache. But now God was leading them to their promise. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you feel like God has promised you some things. Maybe you feel like God has placed something inside of you that drives you, but you just feel beaten down. You feel like your mistakes have made you unworthy or unqualified to do the things that God has placed in your heart to do. Maybe you've given up on dreams because you feel unqualified because of choices. 
Maybe your mistakes have left you scarred and bruised and life has been hard. So where are you today? What battle are you in? Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you're in a spiritual. Maybe you are in the middle of a spiritual battle right now. Maybe you're just struggling and, and you're praying and it just doesn't seem like, it seems like the, the heavens have just kind of closed up and you're just in a battle spiritually. Maybe you're struggling emotionally. Maybe there's just so much going on inside of you. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you just had that spirit of depression on you and you're just, it's just a battle. Every day is a struggle. Every day is hard to get up and to do and to do life just because you feel like everything is just holding you down. Maybe you're fighting a physical battle. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe that you, maybe you've been sick for a while. But just know that we have a God that fights before us. Amen. We have a God that says nothing could come against you. Amen. We have a God who has already said that we are going to win the battle if we just fight. Isn't that what God told Israel once they went to the promised land? Go fight and I will run them out. You've got to fight, but if you fight, you're going to win. But you've got to get rid of them all. Maybe we're in that fight. We have a, a God that has given us the power to speak things into existence. We, have, we, we serve a God that gives us the, the power to pray over the sick. We have, a, we have a God that opens door and he closes door. We have a God that is omnipotent. We have a God that holds the keys to life and death. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that holds us in his arms. That is the Father that looks at us and says, I know that you have gone out in the world. I know that you have, uh, are st have starved in the pig's pen. But when you comes back, I'm not just going to put you with the servants. I'm going to wrap you in my arms. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to restore you back into my love. God never left the prodigal child. The prodigal child just had to come back. And so you will go through the battle but we have to know that God is with us. In verse 15, it says, Moses built an altar there named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. I kept looking at this scripture and wondering, I was like, Lord is my banner, Lord is my banner, Lord is my banner. My good friend Michael says, don't talk about baseball. And I was like, banners. The pennant race. <laughs> But I started thinking about this. It's like, banners. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. When you go to a when you go to a game, maybe not the Tigers, maybe not the Lions. When you go to a team that's won, let's I'll put it that way. You go in and you just walk and you just walk and you see the banners around the arena. Championship here championship here. You see a person's name that they've put the, 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 the jersey up in, in the rafters to, because this person was so successful. And you just you see all the banners and all the wins. You see everything that's been accomplished. And as an opposing team, you walk in and you look around and you're like, that's a lot of championships. That's a lot of wins. The first 
game of the season, the Patriots will raise their last win up in the rafters. And whatever team they're playing against will watch another Super Bowl championship banner being raised in the sky. And they'll look at that and say, wow, I guess that's who we're playing today. But there are banners that remind not only the opposing team, but as a player, as for that team, when I walk out on that field, I look and say, my team accomplished this. My team has accomplished this. My team has accomplished this. I belong to a team that wins. I belong to a team that knows what it's like to win a battle. And so when God says that I will be a banner over you, it's saying that whatever fight you go into, know that with all the wins you have, I'm going to be that banner. When you go into each battle, they're going to see a God that has led you through here. He's led you through this battle. He's led you through that battle. He's seen you through this transition. He's seen you through this wilderness experience. This is the God that I serve. And there are times I have to remind myself of those things too. There's times I've had to pray and say, God, remember when you did this for me. Remember when you, when you supplied this need. Remember when you supplied this need. Remember that one time I was at the airport and I didn't get paid for a week and I only had $2 in my account. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to make it through the week until I get paid. And I walked up to the counter. I'm trying to check in the fly for work. And they said, we bumped you. I was like, I've had this seat for a month. And I'm sitting there in the plane. I'm sitting in the airport and I'm just praying. I was like, God, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And the next flight comes. I'm like, sir, we bumped you again. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm calling more. I was like, just hold on. I was like, well, I'll figure. I was like, God's going to do something. We'll get through it. We'll figure it out. I got bumped again. Sitting in the airport five hours. Finally, the guy calls me up to the front and he goes, well, we're going to be able to get you on this 5 o'clock flight. He pulls out a calculator. He goes, well, here's a check for $1,200. It's like, what? He goes, well, we involuntarily bumped you here, here, here. You had to wait this long. Here's the formula. Here's $1,200. I left the airport, went to the bank, deposited, came back through security and got on my flight. <laughs> but there have been times when I've had to remind myself and remind God, remember God when you did this. Remember God when you did this. Remember God when you did this. God didn't forget, but I had to build myself back up and remind myself of the banners that God was holding over my life for the wins that he had given me. So as we stand today, Moses built an altar to remember what God had done and to remind others what God had done as well. Moses built an altar. He wanted the children to say, this is what God has done for you so far. He gave you this win. In this time of transition, in this time of battle, he gave you this win. But that altar was also to show everybody else that God had given his people a win. And that he was fighting for them.
this afternoon, I want you to tell yourself and to get it in your spirit to never stop dreaming. Because God has raised a banner over you today that says you belong to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. You belong to him. It doesn't matter, matter the spiritual battles you have been in. You belong to him. It doesn't matter the failures that you've had. You belong to him. It doesn't matter how many times you have tripped and you have fallen. You belong to him. And when the enemy comes against you, there are banners over you, spiritual banners that the Satan sees when he comes against you, where God says, nah, this is my child. This is my child. These are the banners I have placed over him. And if you come against him, you're coming against me. And we have a God that speaks into us and he speaks into our spirit and he builds us up. And maybe you feel that God has called you to do something, but there are some battles in your life that have left you feeling unqualified. And you feel like your mistakes, they have caused God to pull his favor from you. And if God has called you to something, your mistakes will not negate what God has called you to do. If you have a dream in your life and you feel like your mistakes have taken that dream, God's grace has covered your mistakes. God's grace has covered those choices and he is with you right now. Because he's going to take your story. He's going to take that mistake. He's going to turn it around and put it as a banner over you. He says, this happened, but this is what I've done with it. Their marriage was struggling, but I fixed it. This is what I've done with it. Their family was struggling, but I fixed it. This is what I've done with it. Their finances were hurting, but this is what I've done with it. They thought they couldn't walk out the dream, but I put the dream out of the ashes, and this is the banner that I put over them. This is what I've done for them. Because God is our banner. Amen. And even in the battle, we have to walk in freedom. Even in this battle, if you're in a battle right now, or if you're in a place of transition and that things are just coming at you, maybe it's something that you've done, or maybe it's just come out of nowhere and it's just knocked you over, and you don't even know why. Know that you can walk in freedom and that God is with you. As we follow Israel, we read the stories of their desert experience. We read about their failures. We read about their wins. We read about the times when God had to rebuke them. We read and we, and we just read through that. We're like, man. We read about how they get to the promised land and the 12 spies just talk their way back into the desert, telling you, who you surround yourself with matters. I kind of wonder if Joshua and Caleb would kind of sometimes get together and just try to build each other up. Sometimes and go, man, we were right there. We had stepped into it. It was right there. I wonder if 30 years into the desert, they're like, we, we, we got this, man. We've seen it. We know God's going to take us back to it. We've seen it. Maybe, they, maybe Joshua and Caleb would, would build themselves up. But then we see how spies go back in. 
And I love that story. And Rahab is hiding the spies in her house. And I love what she tells them. We have heard of your battles in the desert. We have heard of your winds in the desert. We have heard what your God has done for you in the desert. And we're scared. Amen. We're scared. These people are scared of you. Here Israel's like, they've, they're huge. They're giants. And they walk in. This woman's going, no, you don't understand. They know the banners that are over you. They know the battles that you have won. They've seen the things that you have accomplished. And they know that if God comes in against them, they're going to fall. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter what battle you're in. When God puts his banner over you, when God calls you into something, it doesn't matter what comes against you. God will deliver the battle into your hands. So as the musicians come, God is using your battles to prepare you for your calling. Amen. That thing that you might be going through right now, maybe right now today you're here and you're just in a transitional period. And there's just so much going on and you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Maybe you're battling something that is hard, that is coming against you, and you're just like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. God is using your battles to prepare you for your calling. Your resilience, your faith, your strength is built through the battle. You learn who God is in the battle and you learn who you are in God through the battle in the battle you learn that you are God's child in the battle you learn to look up and say Father I'm yours in the battle you will start to understand grace and a father who loves you unconditionally and who speaks life into you and speaks life into your spirit on a daily basis it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter the things you're struggling with even today. God has covered you with his banner. And he loves you unconditionally. If you're struggling with something today, if you're battling something today, if you're in a, a moment of transition, you don't know what, what's going on, Maybe God is is speaking to your heart and you feel like God I can't I can't do that. I can't follow that calling. I, I'm not worthy, God. I, I'm not qualified to walk that out. If you're in a place of battle or transition day, I ask you just to come up front so we can pray. If you're in a place of battle, you're in a place of transition, let's let somebody come up with them because who we surround ourselves with matter, amen. So if somebody comes up, I ask somebody else to come up and just lay hands on that person and begin to pray with them.
God never gives up. Amen. God will never, ever give up on you. God will never tell you that you're not good enough. God will never tell you that you don't have what it takes. God will never look at you and say you're a failure. But he will look at you and say, you are my son. You are my daughter. And this is the banner that I have placed over you for the world to see that you are good enough that you are qualified that my grace has made you whole I ask the rest of the church to just come up and begin to pray to just find a place to pray come on let's press in let's press in come on come on